This is the Straight Dope Podcast, and part of this podcast includes some partners. One of those partners is Mile High Shooting. They are a one-stop shop for optics mounts, suppressors, components, firearms, magazines, nylon gear, and more. They support law enforcement and military programs and anything that you're going to need for Precision Rifle Journey. They are a dealer, the dealer for Accuracy International, Spur, and have a lot of ammo and reloading components. So go to their website, milehighshooting.com, and support a company that supports shooters like crazy. Um, I have seen them put hundreds to thousands of dollars on most of the matches that I've been to myself. They give back as much or more than all of the top sponsors for matches, which is very hard to do. And they often have sales and discounts in addition on their website when you go there to visit. It's a great place for factory ammunition and uh, other stuff. So check it out, milehighshooting.com. Thank you. All right, check it out. Like, you are going. You're you're, you're going to Italy. What, what's the date of the of the World Championships in Italy? Um, I think it the actual it's whatever that Monday is. So like the twenty eighth or something. I think of August is is that Monday. And I mean they haven't released the schedule, so we're basing a lot of what we think off of what they did in France. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it'll probably probably be like Monday registration. Tuesday will be like zero. And then uh, Wednesday we'll actually start shooting would be my guess. Man, that's really exciting though. I mean, I, I love the idea that a lot of these activities within shooting are starting to grow in a, in a global global context like that, that that's just super exciting whether whether you do it or not you know i'm not an air gunner or a rimfire shooter yet um yeah but i will be <laughs> i will be soon but but the idea that man we're getting representation from everywhere is, is pretty cool now I, I don't know a ton about how the format's going to be because you know it's not like nobody really does but but uh i know that the the centerfire ones they had uh, production and and other other divisions are there divisions in the rimfire world that could be hashed out yeah so uh there there's open class so we're sending 22 shooters from the u.s um there's six open class shooters there's four factory division which is what i'll be shooting in there are four uh, young guns, four seniors, and four ladies. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's, that's super exciting. Do you know most of the, the 22 shooters that are going? Almost all of them, <laughs> actually. Like I'm, I'm pretty lucky that, that I get to go and hang out with a bunch of my buddies and and represent the u.s uh in fact i don't know a half a dozen of them like we actually all shared the 
shared an Airbnb when we went and shot the, uh, the PRS rimfire finale down in Texas um, back in November. I think there was uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of us that are going to Italy were, uh, were in that Airbnb in Texas. Man, that's really cool. It, now, is it a coincidence that there's 22 of you guys going? to the rim tire. <laughs> I, yeah, that's funny. I never, I never actually, I never put that together. So maybe, maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it's not. Well, you're going to, you guys are going to crush life. Do you have a Jersey yet? Is there, is there a USA Jersey? Uh, there, there, I haven't purchased mine yet. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's USA jerseys. Um, we're still working through, you know, sponsors and that kind of stuff. So, um, Sweet. that's, uh, and we kind of talked about that last time. I, <laughs> I struggle with that aspect of things. So I'm procrastinating a little bit, I think. Yeah. So let's get down into like, just some like hardcore, just what's the, what, what are the deals with rim fires? And I want to talk about air guns and, and I know that, that the world's that's rim fire, but you're also heavy duty in the air gun and i want to compare and contrast rimfire and air gun for people that aren't familiar either with both or if, if they're curious about air guns because i'm super excited about air guns and and you kind of know all the the information about about that whole world so when it when it comes to competitions in the rimfire world um you know wh what are the main like I'm I'm trying to use it as in contrast, I guess, from from PRS style because those competitions kind of mimic similar stage and movement patterns. Is that is that true? Yes. So, so if you, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's basically a scaled down version. So it's actually what got me into this um, rimfire and competing in the very beginning. I I wanted to shoot long range. I didn't know anything about it. And I heard, Oh, you know, shooting a mile. That sounds pretty cool. That's something I should probably do. And long story short, I found a guy, uh, on YouTube out of Finland and he posted a video called, uh, I can't remember exactly, but something to the effect of train for long range sniping with your rim fire. And, uh, and of course I watched the video and I'm kind of a math geek and, and he talked about ballistic scaling and mm -hmm. how the trajectory and the corrections are very similar from a rimfire to a 308. It's about 30%. So uh, your elevation corrections in a 308 at a thousand yards uh, and your windage corrections are 30% of that would be your rimfire connect, uh, corrections at 300 yards. So that, it, that kind of got me really intrigued in it, but that's essentially what, what these matches are. They're just a scaled down version of a PRS match. So instead of shooting, you know, average PRS, our average targets are probably 600 yards or so six to 650. And we shoot everything from a couple hundred yards out to, you know, a thousand and a little beyond. And in rimfire, uh, I would say our average targets are somewhere around, you know, 100 yards to, you know, 120 yards maybe for the average. And we shoot 
you know, as close as 25 yards and all the way out to 300 and, and really beyond, depending on how crazy the match director gets. But certainly with, with a pretty good level of uh, precision and accuracy out to 300 yards. Man, that, that's really awesome. So I, I don't know anything about ballistic scaling with the, with the rimfire. And, um, I'm, and I'm really curious because, you know, I think that, you know, a centerfire shooter can, can, they can hear something like that and they can go, okay, yeah, I've heard that too. And they, or they could just, you know, kind of blow it off, but you've shot so much in, in both realms and had, you've had awesome success. I, I just kind of want to hear it straight from you. Like after having watched that and then spent the time and effort that you've spent learning both of those crafts, do you think that holds relatively true? I'm not, I'm not saying like you have to justify it with applied ballistics or whatever like that, but I'm just saying like, um, you know, now intuitively is what you watched on this guy's YouTube video. Does it still hold true? Absolutely. So, uh, again, it's, you're, you're well aware of ballistics and how environmental factors, um, can play a big role in that. But it, it, the comparison was between a 22 long rifle and a 308 Winchester. And I have a lot of experience with both. In, in, I shot 308 Winchester for the first, I don't know, year and a half of my uh, precision rifle, um, long range precision rifle stuff. And, and then, of course, I've shot a lot of rimfire. Um, I actually do a rimfire challenge that's based off of that same um, ballistic scaling. Uh, but again, it's, it's open to some interpretation and there's a little bit of looseness in my experience, my, at my elevation and here in Utah, we're, we're similar to where you're at. I'm about 4,600 feet above sea level. And, uh, with shooting a 168 grain, uh, you know, projectile in my throw eight versus a 40 grain projectile in my rimfire. I average about 27, 28%, you know, scaled down mm -hmm. version, but a good easy rough number is, is 30. And, and it's just easy math, a thousand yards, 300 yards. And it's very similar. Yeah. Very similar to what you're going to see um, in both elevation corrections and windage corrections. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I think like it's it's really easy to go into the numbers and science. It's really easy to go into the art. But when somebody's a good shooter, most of the time, you know, they they have an intuitive sense, and a lot of times they, you know, they say, yeah, that that seems about right, and they don't they don't just buckle down and want to argue. They're like, look, I could do it, so I don't, you know, that that's what speaks for itself. And and you can do both. So I think that um, you know, rather than just argue numbers, I just want to hear it from you and. uh and, and, and ask questions that based on, based on your experience. Um, because I, I, I think that's really cool. Uh, when well, somebody says, a, you know, they, yeah. It, it's a template, right? Like, it's not like I'm going to take my 308 dope and go to shoot a rimfire match and, and be, you know, times and everything by 0.3, you know, like, uh, it, it's, it's more about showing how similar those, things are and kind of given some 
some credit to the rim fire. Like you can, if you have 300 yards, which across the nation is a lot more attainable than a thousand yard ranges. So if you have mm-hmm. a 300 yard range, you can go in and get the, the type of corrections that you would see in a center fire match, right? Just with mm-hmm. rim fire targets. And you can scale the targets down just the same, right? Mm-hmm. In PRS, we shoot, oh, one and a half to two MOA targets are pretty average targets. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's an angular measurement. So that target gets bigger as it goes further away. Well, it gets smaller mm-hmm. as it gets closer. So you can still keep those same size targets uh, in a rim fire scenario, and you can go and shoot um, the the types of course of fire that you would see in a precision rifle, a center fire precision rifle match, and you can get that practice and training and and fun and and what have you all uh, with your rim fire. Yeah, that, right. I think that that is awesome. Now, there's some some striking differences, and I'm curious about about the similarities and I'm curious about the differences and the, 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 the kind of extremely obvious one is 308s have a decent amount of recoil and rim fires have very little recoil. I would have said none until I shot a air rifle. Um, when you're training the two, what do you have to be careful about? Because you're, you're kind of always going back and forth between center fire and rim fire that, being able to do one thing really good is impressive, but being able to do multiple things really good, it's, I don't think it scales directly because you've got to be able to not do some things at the same time that you have to add to them. And so what, what would you point out to people that are curious about maybe their rim fire wanting to do center fire or center fire wanted to do rim fire what would you point out as kind of the big things that you, you need to be mindful of despite that there's some similarities? Uh, well, you nailed it. If, if going from, um, if going from rim fire to center fire, the, the, it, it's a hundred percent recoil management, right? That's the biggest difference. Um, I, I go back and forth and my, my thought process kind of changes and, and, uh, in, and so we'll, we'll get, kind of give you where I was in the past and where I am currently in, in the past. I thought that, you know, rimfire is a good trainer. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know that that's true. I guess what it depends on is what is your current skill level and what skill set are you trying to, uh, train? Um, if you're a new shooter to, precision rifle one of the biggest skill sets that i think is missing uh is are you still there sorry i had a phone call one of the biggest things that is missing as a new shooter coming into prs is the ability to build stable positions off of props right most guys that are in this sport even the brand new guys they could lay down on their belly and they could print a decent group. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you get off of your belly and you're no longer prone with a bipod and a bag, and you're trying to balance off of this tree branch or 
some rock or what have you, that position building is the challenge. And so if that's your position, rimfire is a good uh, trainer for that type of thing. It, it allows you a lot of repetitions for less cost and you can learn how to build positions. Um, if your ability or if your training goal is to learn how to spot shots, then it's not as good a trainer because there isn't the recoil and a lot of the center fire world, that's, that's kind of the make or break skill set. You need to be able to manage the recoil and spot your shot so that you can make a correction. And shooting a rimfire isn't going to give you that skill set. If anything, it's going to hinder that skill set because the, no, like you said, there's still recoil, but the lack of recoil compared to a center fire is significant. And so you can be in a, you can build a bad position and you can force the gun into position and take a shot and you won't pay the penalty like you would if you were shooting your center fire, right? Because of that recoil. So you can still manage it uh, in bad situations. Now, if you want to learn how to read wind, rimfire is an excellent trainer <laughs> because the ballistic coefficient is terrible. Um, it, you're going to hold a lot of wind. It often, like we zeroed our rimfires at 50 yards and and air guns we can get into in a, in a bit are, are even worse than this. But even with my rimfire, uh, four or five mile an hour uh, full value wind at 50 yards at my zero point, that's going to give me two tenths of shift. So the point to that is that it's severely affected by wind. You go out to 100 yards and you're seven tenths of wind, eight tenths of wind, you know, and <laughs> in center fire, you, you got to really increase your wind speed or push your distance out a long ways to get to six, seven tenths of wind. So yeah. it's a good trainer for that sense of, of teaching you to pay attention, to focus, um, look down range, identify what the wind does and, and, in that in those types of areas now if you want to shoot if you want to go the other way center fire is an excellent trainer for fundamentals because although there isn't nearly as much recoil there still is recoil so if you shoot a lot of center fire and you've mastered that recoil management and trigger control then you can take that skill set in and take it with you into the rimfire world. The dwell time on a rimfire is incredibly long. So you really need to have good follow through on your trigger. Um, some of those guys, I'm not calling anyone out, but that shoot these ultra, ultra lightweight single stage triggers. Uh, they might struggle with some of that, right? Because you can't just slap that trigger and, and, and send around without paying the penalty there. So they both offer good training uh, across the platform. It just depends on what your specific skill set you're trying to accomplish is. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think um, when, when, you were, when you were talking, I, I always write down notes. I think um, there's a couple things I want to ask. One, I don't know. I mean, I've heard the dwell time thing and the follow through and, and trigger press. Um, I noticed that with the air rifles. Um, it was it was so sensitive, <laughs> and and just having to get, I kind of had to come off of it in order to manage everything just right because I, I I had that tendency to lean in. Um, recently, I heard that that some rimfire shooters have even been making the barrels longer. I can't remember exactly what the rationale was, but that it, it actually tightened the group, but it increases the dwell time. And even though the bullet's slowing down, the consistency was better. Is that, is that something that you've heard or seen? Uh, so I've heard a lot of things. Um, I tend to, I tend to be very specific and selective in the people whose opinions I put a lot of weight in. Um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. Um, and, and my opinion on that is if it works for you, great, keep it going. Uh, but when <laughs> I tend, when, when I tend to, or before I adopt something, um, there's a, there's a very select few, a, a long time ago when I got into this, I was like everyone, I didn't know anything. And so you asked everyone and everyone you talked to knew more than you and you end up chasing your tail in circles and a good goal um, is to just find one person um, and kind of allow them to be your mentor. And I've been very fortunate that that the guy that I put a lot of faith in is an excellent shooter. And that's one of those things. Like, obviously, you want to find someone that's better than you are. Uh, and often I disagree with him, but I still kind of stay to to one thing. So as to that specific question... From what I've seen in my own experience, um, I do prefer a longer barrel. Um, I'm running on most of my competition guns and I'm, I'm constantly evolving and changing things and building new. So I, I have several competition rim fires and a couple of backups and I'm almost always in the middle of building something new and trying something. Um, my average... Uh, competition rimfire has a barrel length of 22 to 24 inches. Um, and I've chose that for a couple of reasons. The biggest reason is balance. Um, we're running these guns in center fire chassis and center fire mm -hmm. chassis were built for big old long 26, 28 inch, uh, you know, bull barrel profile, guns and they balance very well and when you take that away and you put a very small rimfire action with a typically short barrel the standard barrels in the rimfire world are 16 to 20 inch barrels and they're significantly smaller so the guns don't balance well so the first thing i do is i want i want the gun to balance well now a result of that from what i have seen is lower extreme spreads. Um, I don't necessarily think that you're getting tighter groups as a result of a longer barrel, 
Um, but you are seeing lower extreme spreads and, and standard deviations from what I've seen. And, uh, but that does come at a cost, right? You are incre- increasing dwell time and your follow through becomes more important um, as a result of that. Well, that's good information. Now I'm going to jump back even more and, uh, you know, just kind of try to haul through these because, uh, I mean, we got so much to talk about when, when I think wind, right. I'm thinking wind at, at some distance, you know, 600 yards and out and, and a lot can be different between where you are and, and where it is. So when I, when I think just primary wind stuff, Right, I'm thinking direction, speed, distance of my target, and then you can get into all the nitty gritty. But that those are that's kind of where I start, right? Where's it coming from? How fast is it going? Um, those are kind of measurable, and then um, I don't I don't know what the right word is, right? I mean, at first you can measure it at your at your site. You could look at the terrain. You could say you could make those judgments based on experience whether you think it's going to be faster or slower, but really what, what, what I think of as, as the primary of like the, to make an initial wind call for me personally, I'm thinking speed direction. Some people might be looking at who knows what they look at. Right. But, but, but that's the first question that I want to answer to myself is, you know, I think it's eight miles an hour from one thirty. <laughs> you know, that that's what I want to decide. And then we'll break it down and, and, and so on and so forth. But with, with, with what you talked about, um, you didn't, you didn't mention those, those as the primary thing you, you mentioned, um, that, that when it came to wind, it tuned your attention, it, it tuned your focus. Um, and then your observational skills, and I know you think speed and direction also, right? Because we've been in matches together and we've talked about speed and direction. But I, I think as a center fire shooter, for you to be able to say when it comes to rim fire, whether you know it or not, you describe wind as a sensory thing. And I don't think of wind at the level that I shoot at as a sensory thing as much. I mean, you know, if I feel it blast in from the other direction, my senses will pick it up, but I'm pretty dense when it comes to, you know, like feelings and stuff. So, um, I I'm fascinated with the shift in language and I, and I was hoping maybe you could describe kind of your, um, your under, you know, why, why is that? Why did that stand out to me? And maybe it doesn't stand out, but, but to me, that was, that's pretty significant. Well, I think that it, it it stands out. First of all, I absolutely start my wind the same way. I want to know what's my wind speed and what's my direction. And I run a bracket system, right? So I'll I'll run a low wind and high wind, um, and and I run a bracket. Um, the reason I I didn't say that because I don't know that that's again that's my that's the start of my process. But the comment that I made was that uh, shooting rimfire is good wind practice. And the reason it is, is because the BC is terrible. And so I have to be more tuned in to what the wind is doing. Uh, 
because it takes smaller amounts of change to have large effects on my rimfire projectile. So for example, you know, you're running a, a you know, a, a whatever, name your brand, you know, long range precision um, projectile. Some are very good. You know, you're running in the high threes of your BC, right? Three, five, ones, three, five, sevens, right? And that's, yeah. that's a, that's a point three, five, seven BC. My rimfire projectiles are running a point one, three, a point one, four. If I got something crazy, and we'll take it one step farther into the air rifles. Uh, a precision slug, I'm take I'm running a, a BC of 0 0.08, 0 0.09, <laughs> right? So one mile an hour difference plays a huge role. And as you well are well aware, miles per hour is the least of my concern. The direction of, of wind is far more important to my actual wind correction than the, the miles per hour. I, I can be off 10 degrees on the clock and it's going to have a way bigger impact than if I'm off, you know, 10% of my wind speed. So that's why I kind of tuned into those senses is because the BC is so much less efficient that the wind plays a far bigger role on whether or not I hit that target. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I'm making an initial wind call and it's based off of a direction and a, and a speed. Um, but once I have a bracket system, that bracket is going to stay for the most part, fairly consistent. You know, I might run a, uh, at, whatever the bracket is a seven to a 12 mile an hour or seven to an 11 mile an hour bracket. Well, that's probably going to stay pretty consistent throughout the match. Um, certainly from stage to stage. Now it's going to lull. I'm going to drop off because wind never stays the same, right? It's always building and dropping, building and dropping, but I'm going to stay within my bracket. And so that's where I've got to be paying attention. Where at, where am I at in that bracket? Am I on the high side? Am I on the low side? Am I, is that wind quartering? Is it picking up? Is a, am I feeling a full value? Um, and it's, it's shot to shot because from shot to shot, it's a miss. Like, like <laughs> says, if we take an average target, right? Two MOA targets. So that's six tenths, six tenths. And we've, we've already talked about at 50 yards, I can have three tenths of wind. Mm -hmm. that, that's half my target right there mm -hmm. at 50 yards. <laughs> so right. we get out to 100, 150, 200, 300 yards. And my wind bracket is two, three, four times the target width. So I need to be very attentive to what, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to start breaking this down a little bit. I, we've talked before, so I, that it was, it wasn't rhetorical, but, but I, I, you know, I knew the, some of where you were going to go. So I kind of led you into this. Um, the, for most of the center fire stuff that we shoot, 
I, I like to pare everything down and generalize like crazy. So, so before people start, you know, throwing stuff at the, however they listen to this, um, uh, is a massive generalization, but if we're shooting uh, a center fire competition and we're shooting at average distances, a mile an hour variation is probably going to move our bullet about a tenth, right? If it's full value, right? So, right. If, if we're six, 700 yards, if, if, if it's, you know, whatever, five miles an hour to six miles an hour, that might be a tenth movement back and forth. But a tenth is pretty small when you're shooting at a target that's four, five, six tenths. You have, you know, depending on your group size, you got some wind budget. Now, mm-hmm. you're saying, like, what you've said is that at these center fire or rim fire matches, you know, the target size are, 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 are scaling maybe similarly, you know, at the equivalent distances, except that these wind variations, they don't, they don't scale like a center fire would because you're getting exponentially bigger movements. And so you don't have the fudge factor that you might in a center fire match. And, it, you know, people are missing because of wind, a lot of center fire matches, but, but, but you have an even smaller budget on these rim fire matches. Cause if one mile an hour is moving at two tenths, you've already doubled it. And then if the distances get further, it's not, that's not linear, right? It's going to, it's going to expand right. rapidly, right? Cause it's going to double at the double, uh, at least the way I think of center fire. Um, it, it expands out based on, well, whatever, we don't need to get into that, but, um, but, 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 but 50 yards to a hundred yards, is not going to go from, point two to point four you were saying it goes from like point two to point seven so all of a sudden you've got this massive opening where one mile an hour change um is now or two mile an hour change or or whatever is now bigger than the target so you've got to be tuned in to things that aren't something that you would even pay attention to in center fire right I, i don't think center fire shooters in in PRS or NRL Hunter or sniper matches, I don't I don't think anybody out there is reading wind to one mile an hour differences, right? I just you know I mean you could shoot and say okay I know what the wind is, but if it changes one mile an hour, I'm not convinced that anybody could demonstrate that on demand that they could tell that it shifted a mile an hour. But for you guys to be competitive one of the skills that rim fire shooters and, and probably air gun shooters now are, are having to demonstrate is that you can sense that. I mean, we have the ability to sense it, right? We've got all the sensory stuff on our body to be able to detect very subtle shifts in wind. It's just that we don't need to, we don't need to tell the difference between six and seven shooting at 800 yards, right? There, there's other things we need to worry about, but but you're tuning into it because if it shifts from three miles an hour to four, that that could just throw you right off target all by itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm saying like, you know, in a perfect world, uh, you know, obviously everybody, everybody screws up, but, but so, so the skill set that, that it demands on you to become a competitive 
rimfire shooter is is now learning these skill sets of what is affecting it in this pretty close range and you know if 50 yards away you would expect that 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 you could you could feel the wind shifts sooner you know where you are versus 50 yards away than than maybe for you and a thousand yards away right i mean sometimes you sometimes you know you're shooting center fire and you just you just never feel the wind at all, but the bullet tells you there's something out there. There's a lot of wind, but, right. but with rimfire, you're more likely going to feel that. So so you tune into it, and and um, and I, I think that's fascinating because um, if you could leverage that back to center fire, not not that you'd be able to feel it downrange, but you're you're tuned in in a way where now you're paying attention to things that other people aren't. So if, 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 if shooter A and shooter B are equivalent in skills with shooting, but you've got this sensory thing and now you're paying attention to something other people aren't, you could leverage that back, but it takes, it takes time. Like how long did it take you before you noticed, whoa, I'm really responding to the hairs on my arm wiggling or, or like, I'm going to grow a mustache because it helps me sense the wind (laughs) or, or something like that, you know? Uh, well, how long do you how how long did that dawn on you, or did somebody tell you, "Look, you haven't paid attention to this before, but I really want you to like Yoda out here and 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 feel the wind." <laughs> so to to be clear, I absolutely cannot tell the difference from one mile an hour wind, right? I don't believe I ever said that. But no, no, I, you didn't. I, you didn't say that. But, but but I do but, want I I'm I'm attentive to it and so for for me <clears throat> excuse me it comes back to my bracket how I before I start a stage I I I rely heavily on the kestrel I'm probably the most kestrel relied shooter out there if if the kestrel ever goes down I'm done right and and that's not a good thing. Um, but it's an awareness of my abilities. And so I use it and I run a bracket system. And so I, I factor different wins. And sometimes I will consider the size of the target when I'm making that bracket. Sometimes I don't, right? Like, cause I, you take your Kestrel reading and, and you know how it is. You've run, you've run a Kestrel and you'll get, your, your wind speed one and your wind speed two. And often they're the same. And if you have them up there for long enough, they'll always equal the same. If you catch it on a gusty thing, you might get one or two or three miles an hour difference. So I take that reading. And if it's the first reading of the day, then I'm kind of just going to make the best guess I can. If it's my 10th reading of the day, then I've seen averages throughout the day and that's going to help adjust my bracket size. So whatever that wind speed is, three miles an hour to seven miles an hour, six miles an hour to nine miles an hour, whatever that bracket is. And now I say, okay, here's my, here's my bracket. And I know, and, and I give two corrections for every target on that bracket system. And so if it's really switchy winds and gusty, then I'll write both of those brackets down. If throughout the day it's been trending always at the low end of my bracket or the high end of my bracket, I might only write one of those down. Um, but 
I'm going to take all that information. And then before I start the stage, I try to recall, okay, how did the wind feel when I took this? Did it blow, you know, the hairs on my neck? Did it blow my hair around? Did I see grass floating around or the tree was bent over? And so that, that equates a visual and a, a touch sense to that actual wind speed. And now I get down to shoot and I'm like, okay, I, I feel it this, or I feel it more or less. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with whatever my gut tells me on a low or high call. And then I'm going to trust the damn bullet. <laughs> like, right. okay. Like, Oh shoot, I was wrong. Right. And so, or I was yeah. right. And, and, or I was too, you know, so then I'm going to make adjustments as I go. But, but if I'm shooting a match and I've shot, you know, I'm, I'm 10 stages in and it's been fairly consistent through the day. And I can see like, okay, I, you know, it's picking up to this. I'm going to go with that higher speed or, or what have you, but it's, mm -hmm. it's more about starting with a good bracket for me and then making my best guess on that first round. And, and hopefully I hit, and if not, or even if I do, more importantly, hopefully I saw where I hit. And then I can tell like, oh, is this the real, is this the real number? And then I'm going to take that, that knowledge on to the next engagement. Totally. I, I get what you're saying. And I, and I wasn't saying you said you could do it to a mile an hour, but, but I do think if you're detecting the feeling and the subtle shifts in the wind, you're doing something that I don't think a lot of center fire shooters are doing. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people that hear this and they get offended. Well, and they, that, and doing it all all the, the top guys are absolutely doing it. The, the yeah, top, yeah. You, you, you know, like they're, they're, they're seeing changes. They're, you know, they, they're absolutely doing it. The, the only difference is, is the affected impact on your projectile is worse. Mm -hmm. Right. And so totally. you can get away with it when you're shooting a dasher at 2,800 feet per second and it's got an amazing BC, you, you can it. The wind needs to change significantly in order for it to push you off. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially the, these guys at the, you know, at the top tier who are, you know, their wobble zone. Like I talked to Morgan and he's like, my, my wobble zone's like one tenth. Shit, my mm -hmm. wobble zone is uh, unless I'm prone out. My wobble, t my wobble zone is not one tenth. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, that there are guys at the top of this sport who are absolutely staying staying ahead of it, and that's the big thing. Is it's not about it's not about seeing something and making that exact call. It's because again, the wind is either building or dropping. It's never, it's never the same. And so it's more about staying ahead of that. So if I, if I shoot and I thought it was two tenths and I see it hit at four tenths, well, my next shot should probably be at five tenths, right? Because it's, it's been building from that two tenths to, you know, and beyond the four tenths. So uh, it's about it's about staying ahead of what the wind is doing and just any way that I can, whether I can see it or feel it or, uh, you know, I don't know, voodoo it, whatever it is.
<laughs> right, right. Well, because I haven't been able to shoot for months, one of my obsessions has become just the cognitive process that happens with shooters that allows them to kind of open up into new areas. Because I think a lot of people they do the same thing and, 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 and then they're like, Oh, I'm going to start training. And then they do the same thing more. And they're like, I haven't gotten any better. It's like, yeah, cause you keep doing the same thing more. You know, we're not, I mean, you know, the, um, tends not to make as significant a change. I mean, sometimes doing it more helps, right? Like going to more competitions, but I don't, that's not a more thing. That's an exposure to the right, characteristics conversations and and other things so that that cognitive process i think where i'm where i'm kind of leading you with this is that what there are tools that allow you the opportunity to expand like your horizon so to speak right like um you know you 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 play guitar and 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 so if you listen to the same song over and over again you're going to play the same song over and over again. But if I, if I turn you on to a new style of music, all of a sudden you go, Oh man, like that's crazy. And you've just opened up your awareness, but, but without that shift to the left or to the right, you know, you're not gonna, it's not going to be the same thing. I think it's the same. Even, you know, I'm not, I I don't know. you, You get what I'm saying. And, and so I think that, that, one of the cool things that that doesn't get discussed a lot, but it's, that I'm sensing from you, is that rim fires and air rifles are a tool that could help you expand your your sensory skill sets that could be applied to shooting in a way that that you, you that are harder to get with a center fire. And and one of the reasons I think, if I was going to like just make a hypothesis, um, is a, a center fire bang. And you know, your, your whole body is like, holy shit, what just happened? And you blink and it's loud and it jerks you and, and, and all this stuff happens. And, and it's like in that moment, if a fly lands on you, you're not going to notice shit. You could pour a beer on me while I'm doing that. And I probably won't notice. So having that opportunity to be like, oh man, you know, I saw the bullet going at the same time, you know, after a while you're like hey you know what like I, I felt the wind that time and 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 or 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 i saw the the wind shift because you're not being completely startled all the time and and, and some people at the top of the center fire game have been doing it long enough or they have good genes or good coaching or all the above like they they kind of you know i mean we're talking about elite people that were selected out of tens of thousands of people that shoot to want to compete in the first place and be able to have success and then blah, 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 blah. But, but it's like, okay, well, well through that gauntlet, a few people got really good, but, but maybe there's another way to get that good by saying, you know, you don't have to be startled by the shot. You can get these skills and then come in and you'll be tuned into it already. And then deal with being startled by like, getting a suppressor or a dash or some, something that's not going <laughs> to startle you. But, but, but I do think like, man, you know, there's a lot of ways from point A to point B in athletics. Like, you know, I think about, um, I'm not a track person, but, but I have done lots of long distance stuff. My, I've got kids that are, that are track runners and, and endurance, uh, athletes. And, um, but you know, a long time ago, people would say like, just, you know, put on, 
you know, boatloads of mileage, just, you know, go run hundreds of miles a week. And, and, and a lot of people just got hurt running hundreds of miles. And so they, they didn't become good runners, but, 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 you know, as people learned about the science and as people learned about training, some people get really good running hundreds of miles, but, but some people get really good backing off on the mileage and, and getting really strong. And, and that's kind of counterintuitive, but then they could stretch it out to distance to a certain extent and now be competitive, even though they went, they, they're, they're now competing side by side and, 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 and yet they got there from two different directions. And I feel like, man, maybe in, in, in some of the shooting stuff, you know, even though everything's branching out, you know, there's, there's these weird ways to reconnect. And, and I like that idea of sensory, um, development. And, and it is hard to do with this loud, banging, moving thing that, that you say, Oh, did you see it? And, and it's like, man, I didn't see anything. My eyes were shut, you know, or <laughs> right. I lost my sight picture. It was like, well, you should be watching trace. Like, man, that's the last thing you need to tell somebody to do. And, you know, they shoot and look over the scope <laughs> or something like that. Um, so I, I think that's pretty cool and, and a cool opportunity for somebody to kind of develop skills that, you know, may or may not come back to center fire or, or vice versa. Um, but I, I, I like that. Uh, um, I think anyway, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to now just kind of like take a step to the right and, take what we've talked about to air rifles. So you're saying that, that you're, you're, you're putting in a, a BC that, that starts with 0. 0.0 for a G seven, which, which means like, you know, super small. Well, a G, it's a G one, but it still okay. is, it, it still is a 0. 0. Well, like, like my slugs, um, I just, I just came back from New Hampshire and I was running a, a, considerable lightweight slug for caliber and i was running a 0.082 for that bc and that's a slug right and if you're running a pellet you're gonna be like a 0.037 like (laughs) it's pretty much if you throw a styrofoam brick that's about the same bc (laughs) that's amazing um, okay. So I want to back up because like I, I came out to Utah and, and we went over together to Utah air guns and it's like, you know, you think, okay, I know about rifles. And then you walk into the shop. that's really nice, big, everybody's psyched they have, that, you know, you kind of get overwhelmed at first. Like, wow, it's amazing. And then you realize, you know, they, they look like rifles, but Everything about them is a little bit different. I think, I don't know if, if Utah Air Guns is, is completely different than other air gun shops, but I got, you know, I get the impression that they take a lot of the parts and they can kind of custom fit and, and put, you know, MDT chassis and, 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 and all sorts of parts together to make a rifle that is specifically put together for that customer. Is that, that, that's kind of what they do, right? Uh, yeah. One of, one that, of the things that that's, they're not quite as modular as, you know, those of us from the, from the precision rifle world are used to. Um, but, but yes, there is a lot of modularity to them and there is a lot of aftermarket support 
it's not so much like you go and buy, you know, this one chassis and you can flip it into a whole bunch of different actions. Um, they're, they're not quite, you know, it's, we're not running REM 700 footprint air guns, um, at least not yet. Who knows um, what the future will hold, but they are very modular and they do the air gun customer is very broad. And so you, they have to have things to accommodate all of those wants and needs. A lot of guys are pesters and varminters where a really lightweight, compact stock, um, something that they can shoulder very easily and is very ergonomical is great because they're hiking through the woods and, and pesting. Um, all the way to the other side of the extreme is someone like me who I'm only using these for competition. And I want, I want to set it up as much like my PRS gun as I possibly can, you know, arc a rail all the way across the bottom and longer forends and good balance points, heavier rifles. Uh, and then, you know, everything in between, like there's other multiple competitions that, um, my bench press gun is set up completely different than my precision rifle gun. Um, I also have a gun set up for speed challenge. There's uh, other types of competitions called field target, completely different setup for, you know, uh, for a match like that. So there is a lot of options. They're not quite all as plug and play or cross the spectrum as what we're used to. Um, but there is certainly a, a number of ways to, to put together a rifle system to suit your needs and your end use. Gotcha. I mean, going back in the shop and just seeing how much they were putting together for people, you know, I was, I was, I was impressed that, that, that they were really building out, you know, specific rifles for, for, for people and their needs. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool to see. And then that they were, they were tuning rifles for customers and, and, um, you know, they were doing things that were just not quite the way you do it with, with the center fire, like the tuning and, um, taking some of those components to build those, uh, the, those rifles out for people. Um, so the, the, the competitions are big, right? Like, like they're, they're kind of, events that that a lot of people come to are is that that's right i mean how would you compare yeah. the like the 22 the 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 match that you were just at in new hampshire or the one that's this summer in utah versus a typical rim fire or center fire match that that, that the listeners might be familiar with so they're they are big and they're they're multiple events right so that's the biggest difference um a lot of people that may be listening have probably shot local matches, club matches, one day matches, whether they're rim fire or center fire. Um, and that's probably the most typical matches that they've shot. Right. And then a more select few have been shooting the two day series matches. Um, and you notice the difference between those, right? Keeping your head in the game for two separate days is, is a lot harder. It's also uh, a lot uh, 
it's a lot more physically demanding, right? To, to be out there in the elements for two days. The, the air gun matches, there are a lot less of them. There are a few major ones and we're talking international events. Um, there are a few of those. And then there's a couple beyond that that are slightly smaller, uh, but all in we're talking less than, uh, you know, probably less than 10 matches in a year or in a season. Um, but there's there, they, they're comprised of multiple different events. So the event I just shot in New Hampshire, it was the NAC, uh, which is the Northeast air guns classic. And they had a bench rest shoot. They had a precision shoot. They had a long range shoot. Uh, and then they had a pro-am shoot. So that's four different events. And it's spread out over the entire week. I think we, we flew out on Wednesday. Um, and, uh, you know, then we started our zero and registration on Thursday. And, and it, we, you shoot all the way through Sunday and you have the awards banquet and all of that good stuff. And so the, the thing I like about that is uh, you show up and, and like Thursday, for example, we, we registered and zeroed and, and they, uh, you kind of just tool around and, and do a few things. Friday, you shoot like a bench rest card and maybe a long range. And then Saturday, you shoot another bench rest card and maybe the PRS. And then Sunday, you shoot the finals and maybe, you know, the speed challenge or the, the pro-am or so forth. And so you're spread out. You're not shooting all day long like you would in a one day or a two day match you're spread out over, but you're shooting multiple different events. Um, the Rocky mountain air gun challenge, which is arguably the largest one in the world. That's the one here in Utah in about six weeks from now. And it's similar, uh, but they, they have a couple of different events. So they'll do bench rest precision. They do a big bore challenge and a speed challenge that's slightly different. Um, and then kind of a similar format, like you'll, you'll do so one or two of those events per day spread out over, you know, the better part of a week. So they're, they're long. Um, they're, they're kind of grueling in that sense, right? Especially when you go out of town and, you know, you're hanging out with your buddies and you're probably staying up too late and, getting up too early in the morning and then you're out in the elements for eight, nine, 10 hours a day, uh, day after day after day. And again, most of these events are four to five days long. So it really takes a toll on you uh, both physically and, and mentally to, to stay in the game and, and hopefully you come out on top at the end. Yeah. What's the, um, like, how how would you how would you compare just the the day to day activities and culture and and vibe of of all that with everybody doing so much? Is it? I mean, I kind of imagine like a carnival almost with. I mean, not carnival like with weirdos, but but like everybody having fun and 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 socializing and and or is it you know really focused serious business? No, no, it is a, a it's a very enjoyable atmosphere that and that's what got me into it. So. Justin and Austin owners at, at Utah Air Guns, they're friends of mine. I've known them for years. And 
And I helped them out a couple of years ago uh, at this event. And I was uh, prior to that, like I've shot in all of the major series, all the major two day series, we're not going to name any names, but I've shot all of those series. I've shot those championship matches. Um, I've, I've played on that level as far as the PRS or precision rifle is concerned at that, that top level and, and all the way to the championships. And those are, those are big events. Um, and this event, the, the Rocky mountain air gun challenge is so much more. Um, the, the year that I worked, I volunteered to RO it. Um, and I think we had like 13 countries at that event. That's so amazing. It's, it's, it's crazy that like, that's the first, my first experience in an international event. And I mean, we had guys from Russia there. We had guys from the UK. We had guys from, uh, you know, from Mexico. We had people from uh, Ecuador, um, Bolivia, Sweden, Slovenia. Um, it, it was just amazing to see that kind of event. And there's to, like, it is kind of a carnival atmosphere you know you you got food trucks and 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 vendors and games and and everybody's having a good time that there's there's time to focus and that's the beauty of the that type of event like you have it's almost like a golf tea time right like two o'clock you're gonna go shoot your bench rest card and so you can hang out with your buddies and 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 have a good time and then at at when it's time to go to work, it's time to go to work and you go and, and you're focused and you put in the work. Mm -hmm. Man, that sounds so cool. So, all right. So, so for people that, that, um, are curious about the air guns, it, it could be intimidating to just kind of see this new platform and realize, wow, there's a lot of stuff, but what, what really, I mean, talking to you really helped kind of convinced me that it was the right move for me and I'm fascinated about getting into it. So I'm, I'm going straight into it, but for, for, for listeners, it's, it's a decent investment to get a good setup. It's worth getting a good setup because you know, you're just going to keep it and, and run with it. For me, what really did it was that after that initial investment, the cost to continue shooting. You hear some people say, well, rim fires, you know, it's really cheap to shoot. But, but when you actually look at the number of rounds you end up shooting with rim fire and the price of that rim fire ammo, you're still spending a lot on ammo. I think because I don't shoot a lot of rim fire, but when I do, it's kind of like when I shoot my carbines, you know, I'll, I'll take a hundred rounds and, and I'll be like, crap, I should have brought 500 rounds. <laughs> but but I don't do that with my center fire. You know, I'll go I'll go shoot my center fire. I'm shoot. I'm, sometimes I might even shoot like you know twelve rounds, and then I'll just be like, all right, cool. I got my 12, 12 rounds in. If it's like a wind training thing, it's like man, I you know I can't can't train wind with more rounds than that. Otherwise, I'm just following up, and I'm not training following up. I'm you know or, or something like that, or I'll just do my positional check and then I'll leave. But if I take a center fire, or if I take a rim fire or a carbine. I'm going to shoot everything I brought. And, <laughs> and so, you know, if I go buy center X and I bring 
you know, I mean, you, you think like, oh, it's 50 rounds in a box. You think, well, sh- 50 rounds might sound like a big number or might sound like a small number. Um, if I shoot my gas gun, I'll shoot 200 rounds in the same amount of time. I'll shoot 20 of my center fires just because it's fun. I, I mean, so um, when it comes to the budget, there's the initial investment, but but with the air guns, the price of ammo or the price of those pellets and slugs, I mean, it's literally like not a big deal, right? And and you're using air. I mean, it it costs something to fill up the tank. Have you done the 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 price comparison of center fire, rim fire, and air gun for equivalent? rounds or training um, time or, or, no, or have you found I, a way to make it as I, expensive as center fire? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I find a way to make everything expensive. So <sighs> I, I have a philosophy. I don't add it up cause I don't want to throw up. Um, but yeah, this sport is not inexpensive. Um, but no hobby is right. And no right. serious hobby is, is, is inexpensive and and so especially when you know when you jump in to to go to the top i'm not i've never been satisfied with mediocrity um and and it's not just like that's not a bad thing there's plenty i know plenty of people that are in this sport as literally just for fun and they hang out and they do with their friends or their buddies or their family or what have you and and that's great I'm not one of those people. So my results kind of skew the the scale a little bit uh, or the bell curve a little bit because I kind of go all in. But if you are the average enthusiast, um, yeah, it's, it's affordable. And especially, you know, again, what, what are you trying to, if you're trying to compete that that's a little bit slightly different, you probably want to step up a little more of the cost of the, the actual weapon system. But to your question is with the ammo, it's significantly less. Um, and you made the point that, you know, when you shoot rimfire, it's not cheap, but it is, it's just, you counteract the fact that it's cheap. And then in your head, you go out and shoot much more. And that same effect will be with the air rifles because they are so much less, but then you go out there and you think, oh, these are so much less and you end up shooting a whole tin of pellets and you just blew through 500 rounds because they're fun as hell and they're stupid accurate. And that's the thing about these that's so nice is you can shoot them in your backyard. I live in the suburbs in a relatively small yard and I can shoot these guns in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And and they're insanely accurate at that kind of distance. So uh, the cost is very low, very low. I, I when I you know you load for a, a two day center fire match, and you're I, I don't know how you do, but I I'm I was a Boy Scout, so that you know whatever, be prepared, right? So I'm going to go to a two day match with three hundred rounds. Well, three hundred sure. rounds, they're a couple bucks a pop, right? So you're six hundred dollars in ammo. Um, at a, at a rimfire match this coming up weekend, we have an X match. It's 
actually two X matches back to back from the devious mind of Paul Dallin. And it's called the burn a brick match We're there. It's a 500 round match. And I am so excited for this, but that's 500 rounds. And I mean, running premium ammo, that's a brick. You're 120, $130 worth of ammo, significantly less than $600 for the center fire match. I can buy, depends on what caliber and what size and what, uh, you know, pellets versus slugs and so on and so forth. But for about a hundred bucks, I can buy about 2000 rounds of air gun ammo. So I can shoot a lot before I, I, so I went out, like I said, I just went out to New Hampshire, both, uh, Myself and my daughter went and shot, and we we shot in all of the events. So we shot in Ventress, we shot in the Long Range Challenge and the Precision Challenge, and they actually canceled the program, but because of rain. But so in three events times two, that's with three different guns. I probably spent I don't know eighty dollars in ammo for that entire weekend shooting all of those different matches, and. uh you can't, I mean, you can't beat that. You can't beat that any way you look at it. All right. So, but then there's, there's even more like, all right. First of all, when it's raining, like if the rain hits an air gun pellet, will it just push it straight to the ground? <laughs> that depends um, on who. Yeah. There was plenty of guys shooting the Ventress finals that certainly made claims just like that. Does your environmental <laughs> oh, conditions yeah. affect your projectiles? Absolutely. Um, can rain the, knock your can a raindrop knock your pellet off course that would be funny that, that would be funny um hey i wanted to talk to you guys about a partner and that partner is cobalt kinetics if you go to cobalt kinetics and look they have got precision and competition carbines and i want you to look through their offerings they are the carbine that i've been competing with for the last couple of years and Every competition that I've gone to with their 223 that I compete with, I've left with a trophy. Every single one, which I think is pretty impressive. So, an affordable, well-built, well-designed gas gun. And I can tell you that it has worked for me. And it doesn't break the bank. I'm going to have more to say about them as they have products rolling out. But I wanted to start off with that so that you understand that I have intimate experience with their systems and their systems perform at a level that can win trophies. So check them out, Cobalt Kinetics. Okay, wait, wait. I'm just going to like interrupt and say like, so the ammo price is different, right? Because so you make your initial investment. I'm just going to, I'm going to just completely make everything up. If, if uh, I got this chat, if there's nothing in this chassis, but it's going to be a 308. It, it, uh, and uh, let's say, let's just make up a center fire rifle. Say it's $3,000 without a scope. And, and I'm going to get a voodoo and fancy stuff. And, and let's just say that it's going to be $3,000. And then if I get an air rifle, 
setup that's fancy, I might spend $3,000. So equivalently, let's say they're, they're about the same build. Um, here's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize at the competitive level or, or the, you know, we're, we're taking this more seriously than just this plinking. Centerfire rifles, obviously like 308s get more rounds, but you got a barrel life that's realistically a couple thousand rounds, right? Two, three, yeah. three something rounds. And then you're going to get a new barrel. So you're going to add 700 bucks. So not only are you shooting a couple, couple dollars a bullet after a few thousand rounds, you're going to have to get a new barrel. And so that becomes a disposable element that's constantly turning over. With with rimfire, I don't I haven't heard people like saying they shoot out their barrels, but but I do know that people have multiple barrels uh, for those. But I don't think you can shoot out a air rifle barrel, can like uh, and they have these plastic sleeves in them. So once you get that initial setup, unless you want a a new rifle altogether, you could shoot your rifle for a long time what's the maintenance or the turnover what are what are disposable components in an air rifle after you make that, that investment are there gaskets that blow out or um, yeah you're gonna have o-rings right so that that's really it um uh, you're you're not gonna shoot out the barrel you're not gonna wear out a barrel um o-rings <clears throat> and o-rings are similar to gaskets in your automobile if if you're using this system a lot, then those O-rings are going to last a lot longer. If, if they're not, if it's sitting and you only pick it up, you know, once every six months or a year, then those things are going to tend to go out sooner. In that scenario, you might need to replace them, you know, every year or two. Uh, if you're actively using them, you could, I, I, if I was using it actively for competition, I would probably, change them out, you know, after a few years, three or four years. Um, but you don't have to choose, you, you know, you don't have to change any of them until they fail. If that's, you know, if you're so inclined, um, on a, on a highest level competition match, um, that, that's not how I'm going to operate. Right. I, if I go to a, a, a prestigious match, I take backup guns. And so, I tend to going to, I'm going to fix things before they're broke um, in that scenario. But if you're more of just an enthusiast, then yeah, then, then you just run it till it's done. And if you're a relatively handy person, you know, then something, you pop a seal and you pull it apart and you put in an o, a new O-ring. And I mean, some of these guns have a lot of O-rings, but for 20, 30 bucks, you can buy an entire kit of O-rings so right, right, right. it's not a it's not a very expensive maintenance program right right and you you don't you don't need to get into the debate of 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 cleaning your centerfire barrel and action and all this stuff because there's no there's no fouling right i mean there's well lead. there is fouling there's there there is fouling and so you do want to uh, you know, you do want to clean it, and and in the in the air gun world, it's no more mysterious voodoo than it is in the center fire world of how often, when, where, how. Oh. Like, just find something that works for you and run it. 
you know, and, oh, and gotcha. that that's the way I kind of take every one of my approaches is um, I hate cleaning. I absolutely hate it. I hate it no matter what. Um, and in, in a center fire gun, like you said, like my, I've run a GT mostly. And so I'm going to, I'm going to shoot that barrel out roughly in a couple thousand rounds. I don't need to clean it. I'm just going to shoot it out in 2000 rounds. It's a bit of new barrel. Right. So I, I clean that about as often as never. Um, my rim fire, some of my rim fire, I take the same approach. I don't, I don't particularly like to clean them. I don't get the kind of results after you clean them. I feel like you got to run, you know, I have one, I have one gun that if I clean it like a serious cleaning, I don't trust that gun for at least a hundred, if not 200 rounds. And now I have another one, my current voodoo that I'm running in most of the competition. It's an ultra match tight chamber. It's a lot more sensitive. I, I don't, I don't clean the barrel so much, but I clean the chamber quite often because if not, I have malfunctions. And so I, I, air guns are the same way. Like I'll have, you know, one air gun. I don't think I've ever cleaned it now in the last couple of years. I have another air gun that, you know, it just doesn't seem to like it after a couple hundred rounds. And so I'll pull a patch through it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. To, uh, so I've, I've got one coming, but um, I just don't have the experience with it. Now, the, the other stuff that, that I guess ever is assumed, but but maybe because it hasn't entered the conversation, is that they need air tanks, right? And so the different rifles had different tank size. The rifle that, that I'm going to be shooting has a smaller one, the, the, the Pan, Pantera, and and I noticed that like when we were shooting it, it after like about two magazines, you were running the risk of having the air pressure drop and and so your velocity would go down. So you needed to make sure that you reminded yourself to go fill it up. Um that adds to your kit, right? It's not simple like just grab the rifle and run. You gotta have air tanks. And, and then a way to fill up that air tank, because you're going to shoot more than 40 rounds, so you're, you're recharging it. Um, does that make traveling to these matches in New Hampshire uh, more difficult? Uh, well, yeah, obviously, anytime you add more gear to the equation, you, you've got to get it there. So um, the, the, it's not a whole bunch more kit. It's literally uh, one air tank, right? And so an SCBA tank, and for those of you that don't know, it's like a, what a scuba tank or more, more accurately what like a firefighter's tank uh, would be carried on their pack. And they're in various different sizes. I run the nine liter ones. They're, they're rather large. Um, and that one single tank uh, will get me enough air to shoot any match that you're going to ever shoot, even if you're running the Pantera that is specifically designed to have a high power output, therefore it has a low round count and you need to refill it after every stage. Um, my impact, my FX impact that I shot last this last weekend, 
I have a 700 cc tank on it from Air Marksman, and uh, and those are available at Utah Air Guns too. It's and it's a 300 bar fill, so I could literally fill that gun once, and I could shoot an entire match without ever filling it. Um, so it, it really just depends on your end use and what have you. But at the end of the at the end of the day the most thing that you're going to have to add is one air tank and everything else is the same, right? So it does add to it. You, you do need to carry around uh, a tank with you. Um, do you. Do you have to fill it up when you get there? Like, can, can you fly, is it, or can it be full when you, when you go from Utah to New Hampshire? Do you have to go with it empty and then have it, have it filled somewhere? So you can't fly with a pressurized tank, which is insane because, you know, the whole entire airplane is a pressurized tank <laughs> that, right. that has plenty of pressurized air, but these are high, high pressure bottles. My SCBA tank, I run at 4,500 PSI. So that it is, it is a very high pressure tank. Um, so you can't fly with it filled. You, you have to degas the tank, um, but you can ship them ground. And that's what we did. Right. So I'll, I'll ship it ground because I can fill it and ship it ground and go out to these events. Um, but if this is a sanctioned specific air gun event, air isn't going to be an issue. They're all going to have compressors on site um, in some manner or way for you to fill your tanks once you got there. So you could easily degas the tank, throw it on an airplane and, and, uh, and fill up when you get there. Gotcha. And then for people that are now curious about air rifles, <clears throat> if they were going to do it themselves, I, I, I heard mixed things, but a lot of people said some of the just at-home compressors, they can't take the abuse of filling them up all the time. And so they go somewhere to have them filled. It, it, is that what you do or do you just, I mean, I, I, you probably have a good compressor, but. Uh, <laughs> I actually uh, don't. Um, so that's 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 something that everybody has to decide for themselves right so they they make compressors that are relatively inexpensive that will fill up your tanks um i won't buy one of those right i i, I i'm not your average consumer right? I run at the highest level. And so my gear needs to run at the highest level and it needs to be made to take the abuse. I shoot a lot of matches and I put my guns through a lot. Uh, and therefore the compressors would go through a lot. So yeah, you, for me personally, I won't buy a compressor until I buy the, the cream of the crop com compressor. And they're, they are not inexpensive. Now you're, your little, you know, Dewalt compressor that everyone has in their garage and they, you know, shoot a couple of nail guns, you know, into the molding. Those, they're not even close, right? Those go to like 120 PSI. Uh, the bottles on these guns are running at 3000 PSI and the SCBA tanks are at 4,500. So it's a specialized two-stage compressor. Like you, you can't just run down your pawn shop and get a compressor. Um, I personally, I make up for it with multiple SCBA tanks. So I have three of those. Um, 
and and then I get them filled. I'm fortunate. I live here in Utah, and and Utah Air Guns is not far from me. I run down there and get them filled. Um, other places, fire stations, scuba shops. Um, there are other methods that you can use to fill them, um, but I make up for the lack of a compressor with additional bottles. Gotcha. Because because that's kind of the when I imagine people saying, "Well, that sounds good, but you know, what are the, what are some of the hassles?" Like that. That's kind of the ha- that's kind of the hassle that I think that about is here. definitely the hassle. Yeah. Um, but but I do think that the price difference when you compare the rifle setups across styles and the fact that you could train fundamentals, you know, you know, if you, if you disregard recoil management, all of the fundamentals basically for an initial investment, and then you could basically carry that infinitely that outweighed the rim fire for me. And, and, and I couldn't justify training with rim fire for center fire kind of, you know, for the same reason I, I could just go shoot uh, center fire. And I, and I just realized, man, it, it, I'm spending the same amount of money. So, uh, but, but that shifted things the other way and doing all the tests um, because it expresses certain fundamentals easily in a pretty close range, you can have people do tests you know, if you came out, I could, I could say, look, I want to measure some fundamentals with you, but use the air gun because we'll save $2 a shot for all of these fundamental diagnostics. Um, wow. That, that instantly, you know, was, was exciting to me. And then the idea that there's these humongous competitions that are five days with thousands, tens of thousands of people, maybe from all over the world, or, you know, it, it just sounds fun and exciting. So it's like hey, fundamentals, and then a whole new realm of, of precision marksmanship. And, and they're shooting a bar. Like some of the videos we watched when we were in Utah, I, I don't know if I, I don't remember it correctly, but, but some of those guys had groups on paper, at like two or 300 yards that were very small, you know, like 10 shot groups. They, it wasn't, is it, yeah, I was really blown away, like how amazingly accurate and precise their shooting was, in given the conditions of of non-variable winds. But 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 those systems were pretty incredible, um, and not just like okay, we're going to shoot this at fifty yards. They were shooting at two or three hundred yards. Yeah, and uh, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, what kind of targets if, if, if you know you're shooting steel but but obviously you can't shoot center fire steel and and maybe tell that you hit it get um are you guys using extra thin steel so that you could actually no, see it respond I, I mean it's rim fire right so quarter inch ar 400 uh is pretty typical and it's it's plenty reactive like I mean, this is very similar to rimfire. You know, I, I, I'm shooting a lighter slug, but a lot of guys are shooting 34 grain slugs, you know, out of a 22 caliber air rifle, and, and they're chucking them 10, you know, 1030, 1050 feet per second. Like, this is literally just under rimfire velocity and energy. So, mm-hmm. they're, the, 
using rimfire targets, they're they're plenty reactive enough. That's cool. When they when they hit it, if it is a heavier plate, can you see the the lead? Oh yeah. Spall. You know, can 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 you practice watching the the signatures like you can, you know, other other rifles. I mean, it's not like the the projectiles don't explode like a center fire, right? Because you're you're by the time it hits the target, you're going significantly slower. Um, but but you you definitely do get a signature. I equate it very similar to rimfire. That's awesome, man. I'm I'm super super stoked. Um, yeah, man. More more than anything, right now, I'm. I'm that's what I'm excited about is shooting the, the air gun stuff and, and uh, just tinkering around with that and seeing what, what can be measured, what can be done in these, in these close ranges. And I have a, there's a range just, just really close to me and it, it's got, it's about 250 yards and there's a designated area for rimfire. Nobody, nobody really shoots there at all. Um, mostly law enforcement but they don't use that that lane and so being able to go there and do a lot of this stuff is 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 pretty cool um and uh you know see see what's happening and then figure out how to how to go to these go to these big events yeah man i, I man so exciting i got i have so many like personal questions that probably have nothing to do with with anything that people want to hear about but it, but I, I, I'm, I'm really motivated, and I think that that if there's, you know, it, 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 the selling point for me really is just that it's that initial investment, and then after that, you're pretty much just shooting. And so, if you're psyched on shooting and performance and precision, you know, yeah, you got a little bit more wind effects to deal with. But on the other hand, like, man, we're trying to develop skill sets and senses that that you know, that's the measure of skill. And so, so you got these cool things that, that, that can do that really well. I, man, I think that's pretty cool. Um, before, before I kick you off, uh, or before you kick me off, uh, what are you doing anything special to train for, or, or, or is team USA, or are you independent for training for, for Italy? Uh, or, or what's your plan going into it? I know you compete a lot already, so you might not have to do a whole lot of like special prep, but have you decided to kind of refocus to a training kind of program to prepare you to, to perform your best. So I, <laughs> I don't have enough time to do all of the things that I have obligations to do. Um, but the, the biggest change that I've said, or I think that I will have made is last year I was spread across basically every single series of precision rifle. And I've cut back all but the air guns with some very small exceptions. I, I, I don't intend on shooting a bunch of center fire this season. Uh, I don't intend on shooting a bunch of the hunter matches this season. And so I really am trying to get my focus back to rimfire and air. Um, I'm torn because the Rocky Mountain Air Gun Challenge is coming up in six weeks, and I would like to go and defend my title or at least attempt to defend my title there. Mm -hmm. And so that requires a lot of air gun practice. Um, but 
the world championship for rimfire is is definitely a noteworthy event and so um i'm trying to find a balance where i can split those um skill sets uh and so for example the next couple weeks we'll both be rimfire matches um and uh and really it's getting out there and shooting those types of events, the long range stuff. Uh, as we're getting into the warmer weather, uh, then I'll reintroduce my, my, uh, practice days every week. And that those will all be heavily focused on the rim fire. Um, but I don't have something specific other than, uh, kind of refocusing on, uh, on those types of weapon systems that I, that I will be shooting out there in Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. What, what, um, now the mechanics of the air rifle, they, you know, a lot of them, maybe all of them are cocking from the side, whereas the bolt throw on the, it, like, what do you, what do you feel like you could be jeopardizing by shooting more air rifle stuff? that that needs to be tuned in with the rim fire uh the only thing that i think that i'm jeopardizing is just knowledge of a system um so i i'm shooting factory division in italy and i don't shoot factory division here and so i have tens and tens and tens of thousands of uh repetitions on my rim fires. Um, and this, and I, and I will be running a new system for this event. So the only thing that I'm really giving is, is as much time as humanly possible with that system. And, and that's muscle memory. That's everything from muscle memory to, to malfunctions, right? These rim fires are picky with everything there's the tolerances are very tight and the tiniest little things that are off can induce problems um and so the more the more rounds the more successful rounds downrange the more i have trust in a system and the more trust i have the more confidence i have and and the mental game is as big a part of this as anything so that's the only thing that i feel like is uh maybe not at the level that I would prefer in a perfect scenario, uh, but I feel like there's ample time. So I'll, I'll put a lot of rounds down. I I have two rifles that I'm uh, testing currently to, uh, uh, to make a decision. And I, I won't make that decision until, until I'm confident in it. Uh, But shooting matches is good the the being under the time pressure being under the clock um understanding like a course of fire and a stage plan and and all of these things are valuable training so uh the only real difference is the the physical uh, mechanics of running each individual system gotcha man that's pretty cool um Shit, we've been talking a long time. <laughs> um, 
I should probably let you go. I was about to ask you more about tuning a, a rim fire for something like that. I, but but we could we could talk this stuff for for hours and for hours. So I'm I'm, I'm just gonna um, I'm just gonna stop it because we we covered so much. I got like I got back to back pages of, <laughs> of, of of notes, and I'm like realizing, holy crap, we we covered so many things. Um, and I and I think all of it was awesome. And but each little thing, I. I we could make it an episode on with more details. Um, but I think it was super helpful for to have you on and, and just cover kind of your world of, of wild and crazy shooting and stuff like that. I'm, I'm really excited <laughs> to, to be able to come out and do some of this stuff with you. And, and pretty soon, you know, at least in the next couple of months, I'll be able to shoot. So it might be after Italy that, that uh, I'm going to have to run into you somewhere and shoot together again. But, uh, it, for me, it goes by really slow, but in reality, it goes by pretty fast. And so I'm, I'm gonna right. be cheering you guys on from here. I'm I'm really excited. But um, if 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 people have questions about any of this stuff, is there a way, like on social media, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Uh, probably Instagram. Uh, it's Utah Pew Pew on my Instagram, and and you can send me a message there. I try to be, you know. Uh, open and and as friendly as possible um so yeah if there's something you want to know hit me up uh if you have any specific air gun questions any of the guys down at utah air guns can answer they're all good guys um and they're all very knowledgeable but yeah hit me up on on instagram and uh i'll answer anything i can for you and if i can i'll i know i can point you in the right direction of who can awesome Awesome. Heck yeah. Any, any, uh, man, any parting words or anything you want to cover before, before, uh, we got to make more coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would just say, get out and try it, man. This sport is awesome. It's been amazing to me. It's a relatively, uh, short time frame. I'm just finishing up my fourth year of competition. So, uh, there's a ton of wealth and knowledge in this industry. Uh, and most everybody is a great guy and, and it's tons of fun. So I would encourage everyone to just come out and try it and, uh, and just share this sport with us. We'd love to have you. Heck yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for the time and, and chatting. I always like chatting with you. It's, it's, uh, it's cool how, how the community you know, ends up not being so big that you just don't end up knowing everybody and, and being able to tell, call it like, Oh man, no, I got to ask Boyd that we got to ask somebody else. Right. And, and uh, it, it is pretty cool. It's a small world, but, um, but I think it's good to get good information from people that, that are doing it directly and, 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 and you kind of do everything. So you're a good person to ask anything to. And I awesome. like that. Sweet man. Well, Thank you so much and uh, have a good night. I'll let you know when I get this posted up, but it'll be in the next couple of days and uh, shoot until next time. Sweet brother. We'll talk to you later. All right, man. Take care. Bye-bye. One of my big projects and goals is to experiment, play with and compete in the air gun phenomena that seems to be coming out but has been around for a long time utah air guns is at the center of that they bring in high-end 
specialty air gun components. They bring in rifle components and they custom build people high performance air rifles. Air guns uh, often are divisions or used in like rimfire type competitions, but they also have standalone competitions. I believe that when it comes to training, certain elements of all rifle shooting that have to do with fundamentals, the air rifle is the ultimate system to do that. So I'm going to be having podcasts and discussions and data unfolding about the use and benefits of air rifles for those specific components and also discuss how they might not help with other components, right? Which makes sense. If you're going to shoot a 338, air rifle may help with some of that and it might not help with other parts. But I think that Utah air rifles is leading the charge. And so I have ordered an air rifle to have in our classes for craft studies, for measurements and for data. And I want to encourage you guys to look into their systems and reach out to Utah air guns, follow them on Instagram and follow us. It will not only be on this podcast, but also on snipers hide. There's a new air gun section, an entire section devoted to air rifles and what people are doing and unfolding so that we can kind of hive mind and source data and then send you back to a shop that can put together a system for you that performs at the level that you needed to perform at, period. So until I have more to say, uh, go check them out and hit up Sniper's Hide, check out the thread, and stay tuned for episodes revolving around or including data from the rifles that the guys at Utah Air Guns put together for us.